This is the Made Up Savannah podcast, a captivating place to tell stories of the vibrant and charming lifestyle, culture, history, and most importantly, people that make Savannah what it is, truly extraordinary. A new episode is just moments away. Welcome to the Made Up Savannah podcast. I'm your host, Dee Daniels. And to give you a little insight into this episode, I want to start with a quote. Architecture should speak of its time and place, but yearn for timelessness. And I believe we do just that here in Savannah. You know, on this podcast, we love to talk not only about the people who make Savannah what it is, but the places, the buildings, the houses that all speak volumes. And to help me navigate that conversation, I want to welcome my next guest, Jonathan Stalkham, a tour master here in Savannah. He attended SCAD from 1999 to 2004, earning both a BFA and a Master of Architecture, which kind of makes you what, like an architecture god or or a a doctor? Just a scholar. Okay, a scholar. There we go. Welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. This is going to be an exciting, exciting episode. I'm very excited to talk about so many things. First, I have to say, I'm just two days out from going on your tour and it has stuck with me. It was amazing. Great. It was absolutely amazing. Where do you come up with all of the stuff that you pick for your tours and do you ever change it? I do change the tour around a little bit, although the theme from the time I began it was as a narrative timeline. So I like to start with the oldest and go through all the different eras and styles, the different periods to end in present day. You do such a good job of of really kind of giving everyone the, the the flow of the timeline and making sense of it. And I mean, I have visited here for five or six years now, and we've lived here for a little over a year. And there are things that you showed me on that tour that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've walked by this building like 50 times. And I'm just now noticing the pattern of the brick and just, I mean, it's it's really amazing how you put all that together. You know, people that have lived here 80 years will sometimes say that as well. It's You walk past something every day and don't see it until you really stop to pay attention. Oh, gosh, I'm so sure. And, and you know, the thing is, is that we went on this tour and it was it was morning and, you know, already crisp, you know, outside weather wise. And I was just like, wow, this is. This is amazing. It really sort of just brought everything together that we walked by in the historic district. And it really sort of like brought to light some new things. I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that I saw on the tour. And then I want to talk a little bit about your background, too, and and how you kind of fell in love with Savannah and how you got here. But I, I just I fell in love with the way that you explained the the structures and where they came from. And just how much influence we have here from other places and how they turned that influence into making it our own, but also being respectful to where it came from. Right. Well, we're a port city. So if something was available in the world at the time that Savannah was prosperous, it was available here. That that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that stuck with me, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, is just how much influence it was going into so many of these uh, buildings. I mean, we walked around just for a a short time and looked at some of these buildings that was like, wow, can you tell if that's a bank or a federal building or a church or, and there's some similarities. Well, in some eras, it was really easy to distinguish a type of building from another. Um, And other eras like the Greek revival, they all look like big temples. So it is hard to tell if it's a church or a bank. 
churches, late 1800s, it was on trend to look Gothic, to have pointed arches and steeples. Um, so much easier to identify that versus the early 1800s, the same congregation was in something that looked like an ancient Greek temple. When large commercial enterprises started to form in the late 18, early 1900s, started building skyscrapers, they would take the vocabulary of Gothic architecture previously used on churches, for example, pointed arches, um, by adopting that vocabulary, um, they're giving themselves sort of the, the cachet of what the church w- would have had in medieval times. Um, this is where you feel safe. This is who's in control. Um, come to Woolworths and shop at our Gothic temple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which totally makes sense. Um, it, it just, it was really interesting to, uh, when I first started visiting here, I was, I was kind of blown away with how many churches there are in Savannah. I would say we average about one house of worship per square per ward, which also helps to see who initially lived in those squares and wards, which ethnic group or which religious group. So closer to the river, you have the Christ Church Episcopal. And the first boat over was all English. Um, But shortly after, we had a group of Jews show up in the Sephardic community. Um, When you walk around Mikvah Israel Synagogue, for example, and look at the names on the houses, who they were built for, you see a lot of Jewish name, Solomon, Cohen. Um, but then our third boat across was a group of Lutherans coming in from Austria, from Salzburg, escaping Catholic Salzburg. Um, but that's why they are so close to the river. They're one of the first groups. Similar story with the Presbyterians, the Scots that were coming in. Wow. Um, Catholics come in later. So they're, they're at the cathedral is several more blocks away from the river. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I, I mean, I'm, I'm now realizing why that's so far away from the river. Right. And yet, I mean, probably one of the most visited historical absolutely uh, houses of worship. Well, and the cathedral stands out. It's taller than any of the other churches because it sits in a tithing lot and not a trust lot. Ah, yes. Explain the difference in that, because you did a great job of talking about that. And that is actually one of the big things that I think people see when they're looking at the history of Savannah and they learn a little bit about Oglethorpe and how the plan was laid out and and those lots and the squares. And I mean, obviously, when you look at the maps, it's like, wow, this was the most planned out uh, city just about anywhere. And, And the way you explained how all of those lots sit within the squares and all the squares. I I thought was a really great, great explanation. Well, each ward, which is anchored by a square. So if you see a square, it's the center point for its ward. Um, They each have four trust lots and four tithing lots. Though the trust lots are on the east and the west of each square. Trust or trustee lots were designated as public civic use properties. Um, The churches and courthouses that you see in town generally are on a trust lot. Um, like the Israel synagogue is on, is on a trust lot and private homes were not supposed to be in trust lots. Although when you come to Savannah today and tour house museums, it's the large, really expensive houses that eventually were built on a trust lot. Um, because by the 1800s, the rules were no longer in place that Oglethorpe had laid out and the tithing lots still had houses on them, but they were more the merchant class, not the wealthiest people in town. Um, and so yeah, the, the religious buildings do tend to be in a trust lot. Um, two more notable uh, religious groups that are close to the river are both the first and second African Baptist, 
I right. noticed that they're on the edges of the landmark district, um, one on Franklin Square and one on Green Square. Um, but they date to the 1790s. Initially, one congregation split into two, um, but they both have prominent trust plot locations closer to the river. Um, but the exceptions, the cathedral and the Presbyterian, independent Presbyterian church, um, by sitting in a tithing lot, they have a larger footprint. Right. This is getting into the maths of it, a little technical, but a trust lot of 60 feet wide, a tithing lot, they vary a little, but they tend to be 90 feet deep. So by getting the extra 30 plus feet, um, a larger front to the building, they go deeper, and then their steeples become taller also. Yeah, the cathedral um, is, if I'm remembering this correctly, is that the highest double steeple? Well, it would say? be, but it's also... I think the only double steeple. Now I'm thinking, I, I, myself. I think, right. I think I read that and I thought, is there another double steeple? But mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. And, and what we're saying, double steeple, most of the churches in town, they have the central spire right in the middle. You enter directly under it. The cathedral is a little more, I want to say traditional Catholic Gothic architecture, but um, sort of like Notre Dame in Paris, it had three portals on the front, three entry points. Um, but above the two on the outer side, there were large steeples pointing towards the sky. Um, the ideal cathedral architecture from medieval times would have had seven spires altogether. But having the money to put all seven up at the same time rarely happened. Um, so that it took a century sometimes to build a, a cathedral. Um, whereas the cathedral in Savannah, built from the beginning as it was meant to be, but evoking the medieval cathedrals 200, 400 years previous. Jonathan Stalkup is the guy you want at a dinner party uh, because this conversation is <laughs> unless just, you don't want to nerd out on bricks. Well, it's just <laughs> endless. But here, I mean, I you know that's what people love talking about here and and really celebrating the history and and where all of this came from and how it all comes together and the way we preserve it here. I think is also quite notable. And the preservation movement is very important. It started out in the 1950s, or at least the modern preservation movement. I will say that there were times in the 1800s where it seemed a preservation movement was starting, um, but each generation has their own ideas of what history means and right. what they really want to keep. Um, so for us today, it was the seven women who organized historic Savannah Foundation, saved the Davenport House, organized a revolving fund um, that has saved... 350 buildings just from that one organization um, directly saved them, plus the influence of everybody else jumping in um, to do their own preservation. And, and it's a big deal here. I mean, I feel like it's it's a hot topic all the time. Yes. Um, it's it's <laughs> sometimes contentious. Right. And I and I feel like it's has it ever I mean, I haven't been here for that long, but has it ever gone away as a hot topic? I don't think it has. Preservation. Um, I feel like the pendulum swings. People are excited about it. The entire population is excited, um, but you get distracted by life and you think, well, somebody else is taking care of the preservation. Right, I right. can I cannot focus on that for a while. Right. Um, and eventually enough people just stop focusing on it. However, it does drive the tourism dollar in Savannah. So we aren't losing a focus anytime soon. No, I don't see it. Um, and it's a good thing. I mean, honestly, for young people, for students at SCAD, for, yeah. you know, uh, people that are maybe buying investment property here and just coming here for the winter or whatever, yes. it, they're invested. The Historic Savannah Foundation is now using preservation to 
further social justice also. That's right. Many older homes, they fall into disrepair and sometimes it's easier, cheaper to tear them down, yes. build a large apartment blocks yes. that can densify a neighborhood, but it also can push people out that have been there their entire generation, their entire life. Right. Multi-generations. Yes, absolutely right. And, and now I think people are starting to take notice of that maybe more than they did. And also saying, you know, well, if you are a builder, if you are coming in and trying to redo something, let's, let's do it with care. There's a process, I think, that we're all being a little educated about, um, which is important to know and, and how to do that respectfully. Absolutely. And in Savannah, no matter what the building looks like, it all comes back to their urban design, walkable blocks, uh, we don't have any mega blocks like large cities. Uh, you're always close to something public, or you, you should be. That's at least the idea behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and it influences new urbanist designers developing other cities around the country also. So we were talking about you getting invited to um, everyone's dinner parties around here, <laughs> um, which I'm sure that you do. How did you get interested in all of this? How did this come about as a desire in your life? Well, it's kind of a funny story, but as a child, before I could even read myself, I had three older sisters that would read books about Savannah, um, Eugenia Price novels, wow. their romance novels, but with a large dose of architectural history in them. Um, so our first architect in Savannah, William Jay, he figures highly in these novels. Nice. So I had that sense in my mind that, oh, Savannah is a neat place. It's a really important architectural place. And I have the stereotypical story of somebody who goes into architecture, playing with blocks and Lego and always drawing dream houses. Right. Um, and that all came together when I, I found out that there was an art school in Savannah. So I came to SCAD, um, partly because SCAD's an amazing school, but it also is. because it was here in Savannah. Yeah. And where were you when you before you moved? To I grew up in Iowa. Wow. Yes. Yes. So I'm a farm boy. Oh, wow. Um, but I grew up in Iowa. I'd spent some time in Omaha and Chicago. Uh, but... Savannah drew me south and I've stayed here. Yeah. So you were at SCAD uh, 1994 or 1999 to 2004. That's right. And then you didn't look back. Did you ever think about going somewhere else or? Well, I assumed when I graduated from college, I would be a celebrity architect. Yes, That's of course. Everybody's going to be That's when right. they finish architecture school. Uh, I went for a whole different degree and I thought I was going to be a celebrity architect. Well, of course, I don't know we what, all what are, I was yes. thinking. It was <laughs> it's very glamorous on TV. <laughs> Um, but then I gave tours at the Owens Thomas house and a few other house museums in town. Um, and people would ask about an architecture tour of the city after they were done with the house tour. And oddly there wasn't one. So I thought that would be a great retirement plan after my celebrity architecture. That's career. right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I graduated. I didn't want to leave Savannah. I wasn't getting a job here. Um, and I decided, you know, I should just look at giving tours for a little bit while I'm searching. Uh, but eventually I realized I just like giving tours. I like studying history. I'm always seeing something new every day when I'm out there. Also um, adjusting my storyline a little bit on the tour, always finding out something new, finding out I'm saying the wrong thing, right. readjusting that. Right, right. Nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. I, and I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, the, the city grabbed you, the area grabbed you just like it does everyone else. Um I hear that story over and over and over um, about people that are just like, well, we came and we loved it and yes. we tried to figure out how we're going to move here. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's generally right, yeah. the thing, but of course you had SCAD in the mix to do it. Let's talk a little bit about SCAD, unbelievable school. Right. Um, the, the fingerprint it has here on Savannah 
is massive and important. And um, I feel like the reach continues and they continue to try to make um, everything they're doing at SCAD be so respectful and representative at the same time of Savannah history and growing. That's right. Well, and they started out in 1978 buying a historic building in Savannah, um, the armory, the old volunteer guards armory. And that is still where Shop Scout is located today. That's right. Yeah. So that was a, well, and speaking of Savannah's outreach, that was a Boston architect who had moved to Savannah in the 1880s because he'd won a competition in Savannah. Oh, yes. I feel like I've heard part of that story. Preston, yes. right. Yes. Initially, they named it Preston Hall after the architect. It's gone through a rename, so now it's Petter Hall. But SCAD, they often do change names of buildings. They're not, they're not frozen in time, um, which sometimes seems a little counterintuitive in such a historic city right. with such a preservation mind. But they have saved over 60 buildings. I know they have over 70 buildings. A few of them are new build, but that's usually dormitories. Um, and they've saved elementary schools at a time in the 1980s and 90s when lots of school districts in the country were moving to the suburbs and building one-story buildings. They were leaving two, three-story buildings in the heart of the older cities. Savannah had that happening as well. Um, and SCAD saw an opportunity so they could turn a school building into a school building instead of elementary students, higher education. Right. Same with the train systems. The trains were not coming downtown anymore. So there were large buildings that were sitting empty because of that. And I mean, what amazing things that they have done to, to really just get in there and make it something that's growing. That's right. Right. And still, you know, save what was there. Save what was there. And not just Victorian buildings. I first moved down here and lived in a mid 20th century dormitory that had been built as a hotel. Um, it was a big courtyard hotel and mid-century modern it had palm trees in the courtyard, which was not a surprise, but it was definitely different from growing up in Iowa. Right. No snow on those palm trees. Right. <laughs> At least not usually. Do you miss this, the snow? I do not miss snow. Okay. All right. Me neither. No, um, I, no moved from, today. I moved from Virginia and, and we had snow and uh, most of, you know, the winter we, we would see a few big, big snows and I don't miss it at all. So um, I'm loving I've the palm tree for life. I've a decade or two without seeing it too much. But um, occasionally I will be home when it snows and it's very pretty for about an hour. Oh, yeah. And then I'm happy to leave. That's right. Yes, it's, it's that's absolutely right. It's sort of like, you know, having a niece or nephew. It's like that's you can right. send them home. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Uh, which is always a good all time. Known. The snow is all known. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your book. I'm just getting into your book and I'm loving it. Savannah Architectural Tours. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can uh, get it locally at eShaver as That's well. Right. Um, how did the book come about? And I mean, really, I, it seems to me like it is it's a very in-depth picture of, of what one might see on your tour. Well, I laid the book out as three self-guided walks. So you could pick it up and actually use it as your tour guide. Um, it's not perfect. I was given eight months to write it. So I'm working on a second edition in my all my free time. Yes. Uh, which we'll see how soon that comes out. Um, but it was exciting to be able to have a book out. Um, the publishers, Schiffer, they actually had somebody on my tour that I didn't know about. And they called me a couple of weeks later. Oh, wow. and we're just on your tour. Have you thought about writing a book? Of course, who hasn't thought about writing a book? I right. didn't know if I was ready. <laughs> You're ready when they <laughs> call, right? Opportunity, I had to make it make it happen. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. I, I think it's uh, so far what I've gotten into. I think it's it's great and it's a great picture. And I think 
it really does give you sort of uh, a guide to, you know, finding what you might want to, the little sections you might want to look into if you're just visiting or going through or coming for a week or two or living here for, I don't know how long. And you're like, I've never stopped and looked at that. Right. Helps you to see a few different details. Totally. Well, and since it came out 10 years ago and I'm seeing new details every day, there'll be a lot packed into the next edition. In the edition. next edition? That's yeah, right. I can imagine that. I can imagine. And correcting mistakes. I don't know if I'd mentioned this too, but um, the first week that it came out, I was sitting at a cafe in Savannah. I was so excited. I had it with me. And a woman at the next table said, oh, is that your book? I said, yeah, it is. And she said, I was just reading it and you misspelled dental. <gasps> oh, no. I was like, oh, oh, I did. Oh, oh, well, no. I'll catch it on the next time. <laughs> dental is spelled different for architecture oh, versus <laughs> medical trade. What a great story. Um, <laughs> that's fantastic. And it's always good when someone else points it out. Oh, it? absolutely. <laughs> Especially when you're at the, you're most proud of something. <laughs> no doubt. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite spots to go to in Savannah, as you know, the history behind just about every corner. Um, like what is your favorite river street area to go and, and sort of visit, hang out? As a local, I don't make it to River Street often, although I did as a student, of course, that's yes. where the nightlife is. That's right. Um, making it down River Street again a bit more these days as the West End is starting to develop. Um, seeing all the new hotels, Plant Riverside, mm -hmm. uh, it's changing the feel of the West End, although changing the feel while still preserving several of the historic structures that are down there. Right. Um, hopefully drawing locals back to River Street that haven't gone down regularly for several years. Um, but River Street is where Oglethorpe first arrived and where most of the European groups first arrived, um, where enslaved Africans first arrived in Savannah. Um, so that was what people, their first impression in the 17 and 1800s um, was arriving along the banks of the river, although it looks much different now than it would have been. Oh, yes. Um, but even in the first drawing of the city, there's a staircase going up the steep embankment. Oh, the staircases. The staircases, yes. <laughs> Every time we're on River Street or going to River Street, we always have the same conversation. I don't know how we have an open carry here <laughs> uh, in, in this historic area and to have those stairs. That's um, why the city put the signs up to use Ooh. at your own risk. Yes. Do you choose a different stair every time? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, and, and now, of course, the older I'm getting, I do tend to go down towards the Plant Riverside yes. where I can just sort of ramp it down the street to much easier yeah yeah it's probably the best or most two code staircases right next to city hall yes so i usually recommend that to people mm -hmm. there's an elevator there that's right as well so if you want to hop on the elevator nothing wrong with that a little safer journey it is um and yeah there there's certainly some interesting things that you see uh, along river street up and down the staircases um oh one, i should say one of my favorite buildings along the river is city hall Oh, yes. And I did have the chance uh, a year or two ago um, to go with the city archivist, Luciana, um, oh, to wow. the top of the dome of City Hall. Oh. Um, and I always, I go to the top of domes in any city that I can, can find access to it. And I've always wondered why Savannah didn't have a more regular way for people to see that until I saw the ladder that helps you to the cupola. Oh, that explained everything. That explained everything. Did it also have a sign that said use at your own risk? Oh, no, it had a lock that said nobody use this. <laughs> I bet it did. I was in uh, City Hall for the first time not that long ago, a couple of months ago. And I was just, it's, it's breathtaking. Honestly, everything inside is breathtaking from, uh, you know, the mayor's office to 
the dome to the city council chambers. It's all it all just screams of history. In there. Yes, it's a bit of a time capsule. Mm-hmm. The council chambers are the original from 1906 when it was completed. Um, I feel like you can feel it when you walk in. I don't that's know. right. Yes. It's beautiful. Lots of hidden gems and details in there. Things that are obvious if you know it to look for it, like just the lighting fixtures all around the rotunda, which were made for both gas and electric, depending on which one is going to be technology of the future. Right. They had a branch for each. I, wow. I did not realize that. The next time you go in there, if a branch is pointing up, it was gas. Mm. If it's pointing down, it's electric. But gas can't ignite if the branch is pointing down so it had to be flipped the other direction right. that makes sense wow that, mm-hmm. and i learned again from you John. <laughs> thank you for that um so as a tour guide how do you answer some of the uh tourist questions that that come to you like is there really ghosts in savannah oh ghosts in savannah well we've had a culture of ghosts for 300 years almost um i will point out to some of the tourists that Although we've had ghosts for centuries, we've never had as many as we have in the last 30 to 40 years. The population grows every few days. That's right. That's right. That's very true. Um, Have you ever experienced any ghost situation yourself here? Well, I've been told you have to drink spirits to see spirits. (laughs) And although I keep testing that, I still haven't, but I will keep trying. That's funny. Many of the local bars actually have that on a sign. You want to experience the spirits. You have to come in purchase the spirit and every new technology that comes around is used to find the ghost whether it's photography that's or right. digital yes. that's right and I, I you you can see one in, in, in almost every picture and i'm thinking wait a minute did you just do that on your phone or did that <laughs> really happen and then later on after i go on a like a ghost tour i get home and i'm like oh it was just like a smudge on my phone the paranormal that's experts right. aren't going to like this part of this <laughs> discussion so true. i'm sorry <laughs> i apologize um Talk a little bit about the pirate history here. Pirate history. I don't know a lot about the pirate history, but by the time Savannah was founded in 1733, we're coming past the heyday of of piracy and of privateers. Pirate, privateer, depends if they were um, the people that were on your side or not. Um, So the English government hired people to go and essentially harass the French and Spanish ships coming over. So they were privateers for the English but to the French perspective, they were definitely pirates. Uh, and they had a lot of their headquarters. That's a grand term for it. Um, but their locations were in the Caribbean. Savannah does relate to Caribbean culture since it's on the coast and easily accessible by ship. Right. Um, but we have the pirate's house in Savannah. May have had some pirate history. May not be as old as they've been <laughs> as they've been given credit in the past uh, all i know is i enjoyed the shrimp i'm just that's like, <laughs> great yes it's a wonderful restaurant it's a great restaurant and and really uh in still such a great spot with a great view and and it is historic it yes is, yes it's an old building yes actually gives a good feel of what the city would have been more like in the 1700s and 1800s um, unpainted clabber on the outside uh, paint costs a lot of money. So if you had a bright building, you were spending a lot of cash to get it to that brightness. Mm-hmm. Right. It is very interesting to uh, walk around and listen to you talk about some of the, some of the, the, the houses and, and what it looked like, what it would have looked like as opposed to what it looks like now. And you can kind of see what was going on underneath. Thinking I, about stucco and brick. I am, yes. yes. Yeah. And uh, stucco 
if you painted it a vibrant color, you were showing off wealth. So, for example, the pink house, mm-hmm. a vibrant pink was showing off how much money they had. Right. Similar with the Owens Thomas house. It's faded after 200 years, but they used an ochre pigment and that had to be shipped across the ocean. Right. That's, I mean, it's amazing when you realize what's going on underneath a lot of that and a lot of yes. the structures. One of the, the places that we walked by on your tour and that you mentioned um, and I think this is what you said, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said if there's any house that you're going to see, if this is going to be one, I think it was the Davenport house. The Davenport is wonderful. The Owens Thomas house right now is my, you should see it if you only see one. Okay. Um, they, they're not really rivals. They're definitely a good, um, compatible. You should see both of them. Um, the Owens Thomas house is the most intact 19th century property and they have, had their slave quarters, their bottom floor, and main two main levels of the home open since the 1990s. All of that has been open. Um, it first became a museum in the 1950s. At that point, it was just the main floor that you were able to see. Um, the Davenport House, they've also been a museum since the 50s. Ooh. Yeah, so more of the social history is being shown there, the workings of the house, how it really continued to operate. Um, and you'll still... And you still can already see the upper levels, the pretty part of the house and the formal areas. Um, But it took a lot of effort to keep that going. I think one of the coolest streets to walk down and and you took us exactly down the street um, to really get a feel of everything as far as the the structure goes and the brick and what they've done and and what it used to look like and the additions that they might have added on is Oglethorpe. Uh, I loved that whole conversation down Oglethorpe. There's so many things to share. Well, Oglethorpe Avenue has been part of the city fabric since the very beginning. It was South Broad Street. So before the War of 1812, the city was essentially between what's Oglethorpe and the river. And after the War of 1812, the city started to expand past that point. But at the very beginning, Oglethorpe Avenue, South Broad Street, was a walled area. We had a big wooden palisade. So as a walled city, that was the edge, the safe zone. Right. Um, safe from the Spanish, essentially, at the very right. beginning. That's who they were worried about most. Um, but because it's been there since the beginning, and it's a major thoroughfare, um, it has seen evolution along it for almost 300 years. Wow. The oldest house in the, in the city is currently on Oglethorpe Avenue. And that's the one you showed us first, I believe. The Christian Camphor Cottage. Right yes. across from the fire station fire number station. two. Well, that's it was right. so interesting. And I, and, and I didn't bring it up, uh, the tour, to, to interrupt at all. So I wanted to <laughs> talk about it now. Was, Ask questions. Ask what questions was so <laughs> interesting was that before we moved here, we stayed at that house. It, there's an Airbnb The one right there. next to it? Yeah. Yeah. Underneath. And, and oh my gosh, I was, it just brought back so many memories and we were standing there talking about it and you gave so much history to the house there. And I was just like, oh wow, this is amazing. Just today, somebody was staying at the house next door mm-hmm. and they were, oh, we were here. We just walked past this this morning on our way over. We didn't even look at this cottage until now. So technically that, um, that is the oldest standing Structure, I mean, they've added on. Most scholars think that's the oldest surviving building in the city at the moment. But we're talking about the Pirate's House. In the 1960s, Historic Savannah Foundation gave that house a date of 1733 and said it was Um, the oldest building. It's been here since Oglethorpe was here. Um, That the same publication is now in its third edition. The first edition said it was 1733. 
by the third edition, they've revised it to the 1850s for that portion of the building. Mm. Uh, and when you look at the architecture of it, if you study this every day, um, the peak of the roof, for example, is a bit too low. The pitch is too low for the 1730s. So 1850s makes more sense for that. Okay. Um, so for the last few decades, that Christian Camphor Cottage in Oglethorpe has been considered the oldest building in the city. Wow. So interesting. And I didn't realize that it had that, that title right, right. at all. Well, and to complicate matters more, things are always changing. Research is, is delving further. Um, one of my friends bought a house from Connecticut or in Connecticut a few years ago. Uh, but it was one of those situations where you can buy the house for very cheap, but you have to move it. You can't have the land. Oh, right. And the house was from the 1700s. Well, as they purchased the house, disassembled it, they found part of it was even 1600s. Oh, God. But the plan from the beginning was that they would move this house to Savannah. But they completely disassembled it. They numbered all the pieces, brought it down to shipping containers. It's currently going up in Gwinnett Street. It's part of the Printmaker's Inn, so you can go past and see oh, it. Oh, wow. But it will, part of it will be older than the oldest house in Savannah. Although I've, had, I've told them, I've got to qualify how I say this. Right. The oldest surviving building versus right. the oldest piece of it. Right. I mean, when you think about it, now they've got all these Ikea pieces they're trying to put together <laughs> because they numbered them. Yes. <laughs> they're old pieces. Yes. <laughs> Flat packed. Right. Um, uh, it, it's it's amazing to me to to see even how much Savannah has grown in the short time uh, when we were visiting before we even moved and and then in the last year and a half it's it's changing it's growing yet yeah. this, the history is all still there and still being shown off you know underneath uh, I don't I don't think that's gonna we're gonna lose that and fitting the puzzle pieces together keeping the older intact historic buildings while still being a modern living city that can be hard and two preservationists won't agree on exactly how it should be done oh i'm sure but that makes it exciting it makes those dinner parties exciting that's right that's right do you have a favorite square in savannah oh favorite square I i've had to answer that by picking more than one right um two that are dramatically different and that's why i've picked them are pulaski square and troop square Ooh. Um, pulaski square is it's just lush with foliage. It's very green. There's no centerpiece in the middle, um, sometimes overgrown vegetation with the azaleas and surrounded by primarily residential architecture. Complete contrast to Pulaski Square is Troop Square, which is highly manicured. It's actually a little bit smaller, which people don't realize that at first, but there are three distinct sizes of squares in Savannah. But Troop is one of the smaller ones. Um, it has an armillary sundial, in the middle of it, oh, big right. centerpiece. Yeah. yeah. Um, most of that landscaping is 1960s and 70s in Troop Square, although some of the trees are 1800s. But it's surrounded by residential, but also with the Unitarian Church. And a cafe is over there. Um, so it has perhaps more people in it at any given time than you might find in Pulaski. Mm, that's, yeah, that, those are good, actually. I, I would probably pick Crawford Square because that was... Crawford, that's my, the one that usually gets forgotten. I about. know, and, and it was one of the first ones that I spent a lot of time in because um, there's a cute little Airbnb hotel over there um, called The Present. And and so before we moved here, you know, we stayed there a couple of times. And, and early mornings in that square... With the gazebo yes. and um, basketball court. Oh my gosh! And and just the kids coming over to play and everybody that lives right around there. A good majority of people that live around the square are 
locals that have lived there for quite a while. That's right. That's yeah. And and just to be able to chat with them and hear stories and um and to see the the horses go by that square at they night. Peeled down some layers too. They've exposed part of a cistern, which would have been a water holding tank for firefighting. Yes. Um, we neither of us picked Monterey Square. I think that's what most. Oh yes. Most yes. tourists are pointed to Monterey as that's the beautiful true. square. Yeah, it is. I mean, but then again, I fell and it's gorgeous. I fell in love with Ellis Square. Yeah. I mean, you know, what a what a cute um extension of city market there. You know, and everything sort of very lively. It's very happening. Yes. Um, and you can't miss the kids running through the fountains there. All so. of these have different personalities, really each square. Do. Yeah, it depends on your mood. Yeah, um, which square you want to go to. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about before we get into our uh, top three made of questions, which <laughs> we like to end our episodes with. But I want to talk a little, a little bit about um, your book. Again, you can get it at um, eShaper Shaper locally. Book Lady has it locally. It's in several museum stores. Uh, I think the Davenport House probably has it. The Telfair definitely does. Um, so it is around town. Yeah, and I feel like you know. People are looking for kind of a perfect guide when they come here and when they want to move here and when they bring family here, they're always looking for that perfect guide. I think this perfect is such guide. a great, great guide. It will get people started anyway. Yeah. There's so many good books on Savannah, but East Shaver is the place to go to see all the new books and books that you can only find here. Um, we have Beehive Press in Savannah and they publish you can actually you go over from their website, but you definitely can't get it from Amazon. It's one of those very localized. Um, so when people ask for the book they should have on Savannah, mm. it has all the architecture in it we've talked about. Obviously, my book is the one they should have. Yes, of course. But past that, Savannah Revisited, it's a $50 coffee table book, and it's large. It's a lot to put in your suitcase to take home with you. Yes. But it is packed full of great information. And uh, I, I would say E. Shaver would be my favorite bookstore yes um i don't know there's something about it and i've been and i think it's very homely with the cats and it's so good it's i mean and i can find just about everything there so and it's and not just savannah too your travel guides when you go other places absolutely absolutely and if you missed any of paula dean's recipes or something (laughs) while you were here they're there you can get them there too yeah um that's always fun so we're going to do our top three made of questions. I want to just give you a you know full disclosure before we go in. There are no wrong answers. So whatever you whatever you want to say to these. I'm going to prove you wrong with that. Ah. <laughs> we do have a buzzer. Though. Okay. No There's no buzzer. <laughs> okay. So the top three made of questions for a sunny day at the beach. What would your favorite drink be made of? Sunny day at the beach. I think the, the obvious answer is rum, but rum doesn't agree with me. Mm. I'd probably have to do something, something cold, white wine, maybe oh, a rosé. Nice. Yeah. Something a little bit lighter since I'm going to be out there in the sunshine. Right. And are we at Tybee as far as beach goes? Or are we? Tybee's easy to get okay. to. Uh, for architecture, if I'm going to Tybee, I'm going to the lighthouse or the pier. Mm. But if you have a little extra time, you can go to St. Simon's. You can see some archaeology, go to Fort Frederica, which is another town that Oglethorpe laid out, um, and go to the lighthouse on St. Simon's also, or see Jekyll, which is right next to St. Simon's. Jekyll is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but obviously, when I'm going to a beach, I want some architecture. Right. With of it. course you do. Yes. Of course you do. The older, the better. <laughs> you can't just leave that uh, when you're going on vacation <laughs> yeah, or exactly. going for the weekend. Um, if you were a house, this is question number two, if you were a house in Savannah, you would be made of what? Oh, that's a tough one. There are so many different materials in the city. We talked about Savannah gray brick. 
Um, there's a lot of wood frame houses in Savannah. They were much more susceptible to fires. Right. Although they would actually hold up better to an earthquake than the gray brick. Really? If we had a seismic event. Um, was the gray brick just so... Well, if it starts to shake too much and the foundation is too firm, um, it, will, it will collapse on itself. Okay. An um, interesting example of a house that was accidentally built for seismic protection is in Charleston, an 1820s house by William J. the Mackey House. The foundation is packed clay. So it worked like a modern earthquake pad. Oh, wow. So maybe I need to start with the foundation. Yeah. We have some packed clay. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that makes um, sense. You may not know as soon as you come on a tour, but I'm also a big modernist. So reinforced concrete, that's going to be very strong. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like my house to hold up to any of the elements. You've got several different different things that yes. are going to be going on. One, maybe one side that's, this, one side that. That's right. I've always, <laughs> I've loved the idea of an old ruin of a house that then gets a modern in, insert in it to stabilize it and hold it up and you're actually you do renovations that's kind just of just for myself and i'm working thing, on that's right? why yeah. my book that's why the next edition of my book is delayed right, right. now yes because <laughs> you're working i'm working on a house on many things uh and the final question is and i think this is a great one for you when you have friends and family visiting savannah what is your must-see must list see. made of i have to show them the urban design so that means we're in a square uh i want them to see forsyth park that's our centerpiece, the jewel of the city. Park. Although I live next to Daphne Park, so they're going to see more than one, uh, more than one large municipal park. I feel like the river has to be seen. Uh, we'll probably go to a rooftop bar mm -hmm. so we can watch the ships. Your and, rooftop bar of choice would be? Oh, I have a few, but right yeah. now I'm loving the new electric moon at JW. That's great. It's closest to the bridge out yeah. of all of them. Great view. I also also tell my tourists, if you're going to go to that effort, do download a ship finder app on your phone. Yes. You can see what these ships are carrying. That's right. It's very interesting, where actually. Where they're going, where they're coming from. We had um, some neighbors now that were friends right before we moved, and that's the, one of the first things they told us to get was one of those apps. And they were like, it's so interesting yeah. when you're watching them <laughs> go by, you can, you can see where they're going. I forget it's on my phone now, from. but then when I travel, I'll be in Miami and do the same thing. It's where is this one very going? cool. That's right. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, so that's on your must see list. A uh, little bit of the river street rooftop bar. rooftop bar, get out of the landmark district a bit. We have 15 historic districts. It's just the oldest of the 15. Um, one of the hot ones at the moment is Starland Yard, Thomas Square. Mm. So get get yourself down there, and I'll take my friends to Starland Yard, which is also easy. We don't have reservations, and if the group grows, which they always tend to, suddenly there's 15 people. There's still room. The table. That's right. Yes. That's right. You don't have to wait. That's right. Which is nice. You can still order a drink and <laughs> hang about. Yes. Um, Nobody shows up on time, so that's ideal. That is ideal, and so many cool places popping up over there that. I, I just think business is going to continue to thrive over there, and that's right. And and people are interested in in buying the houses there and and seeing what they can do to to kind of renovate those and and still keep that beautiful outside structures going on. And there's yes. so many beautiful houses over there. In that and area. getting our crystal ball out is probably going west. The preservation movements, um, especially with the new arena, 
Oh, yes. See, we'll see what happens in 10 to 20 years, but I feel like that's going to be it. Well, that has to be on your must-see list. Now you also have to take the guests to a Ghost Pirates game and a Bananas game. <laughs> yeah. There's so many we'll do things. it all. <laughs> so many things you have to that's do. That's right. Jonathan Stalcombe, check out his book. It's called Savannah Architectural Tours. Check out his tour as well. And you have a website everybody can check out. That's right. It's architecturalsavannah.com. Perfect. Just remember how to spell architectural. That's right. Sound it out. <laughs> Sound I still do. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yes. Same way we do wed wedness. Wednesday. Day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you. This has been fantastic. Thank you. It was fun. Mm-hmm.